Dillon from DCC for 12 years in France. We serve at a, at a camp, retreat center, and Bible school that's in the French Alps. It's called Champfleury. So this is what a camp looks like in France. It's a 300-year-old building that was a farmhouse that's it's not rustic like some of the camps in Colorado. A little bit of what imagine it. Some of you have seen pictures because, again, that team came to do a youth camp with us a few years ago. So this is our Camp, our base of operations. We have a passion for using the outdoors and a background in youth ministry and experiential education. So you might realize today as we do the service that it might be experiential. So, you know, if you can mentally prepare for that, uh, don't be frazzled. Okay. So first thing is, this is a little bit part of it. Um, we also uh, are involved in the community where we live, around Champfleury, in our little local church, in a gospel choir in the valley. And uh, so our little church, the Evangelical Church of Brignoux, says hi. We bring their greetings from it. It sounds like we're reading an epistle, but uh, we have people visit and say, greetings from our church. So greetings from our little church in France. Um, there have been missionaries in France since the 50s. And when it started, there were very few churches. There are 10 times more churches now than 1950. And uh, there's a new church every 10 days in France. But all that adds up to less than 2% of the population. So even though it's got some 100% growth over, the, uh, over 50 years, it's growth from 0.01% to 1.2 over time. So uh, France is kind of a hard nut to crack. Um, so you can be praying for the needs in France. Um, our church uh, has been around for a couple of years. We used to have a pastor. For the last seven years, we don't have a pastor, and it's really hard to find one in France. It's, I say this often, it's a bear market for pastors in France. Uh, so we've been looking for seven years, and for a while we just kind of treaded water, trying to do church without. And, uh, and now we're starting to realize, well... This is the church in France for now. And so we, what we were missing is that the sermon series that a, you know, a senior pastor will bring consistent teaching. So we started doing that. This past fall, we had, a tens, we had 11 or 12 sermon series with 10 different people from the church teaching. So it gave us a lot of consistency of learning the same thing, grappling with the same things together. Um, for this sermon series, we chose... A passage from Mark 8.22 to Mark 10.52. Just totally random numbers. We all went, why random middle of chapters or anything like that? In Mark 8.22, Jesus heals a blind man. Then in Mark 10.36-52, Jesus heals another blind man. So we have this theme that came through our little sermon series on ceasing. And I'm going to give you... This picture as a background to what's going on between these two healings. So, little disclaimer, if you see things up there, this is uh, some people manage to see, some people don't. They're seeing, it's the title of the sermon, they're seeing and then there's seeing. Um, so if you see something, don't be sh uh, whispering the answer to your neighbor. This is, can you see? Because the light has to go on for each one of us on and it's just a, an illustration of what went on. So during this passage between these two healings of blind men, first of all, if you, you might know or you might not know, that first 
the blind man that is healed is the one where Jesus heals him in two moments. He heals him first, and the guy says, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. And then, so he heals his ability to see, and then Jesus heals him again to be able to interpret what he's seeing. You know, the seeing and then seeing. I mean, I could dig a little more into the science of how our brain registers what it's getting, but it seems like Jesus already knew that. Kind of like, oh, all right, fix the eyes, now fix the brain that interprets the eyes. During this passage, uh, one of the themes you'll find in Mark, there's two main themes that that cross through the Gospel of Mark, is first of all, Jesus is, presents himself and is presented as the servant. And about halfway through, right around verse 46 of chapter 10, the second theme appears, and it's Jesus the sacrifice. So Jesus is here to serve, and his greatest way of serving is then to give his life. Right? So in the verse, I think I have it, Mark 10.45 is this hinge verse. So this might, it's just kind of the background, as you're staring at these background pictures, um, of what's going on. Mark 10:45 For even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That verse kind of it's the tipping point for that second theme where suddenly Jesus and his disciples uh, start heading towards Jerusalem towards Jesus the sacrifice that part of the story. Are y'all tracking with me? Feel free to nod. It helps me. If it helps you, it helps me. Okay. Um, other things, another particularity in Mark is that the poor disciples are not painted in a good picture. They are clueless consistently. What? I don't understand. Or Jesus, even in uh, certain verses where Jesus asks them, so what do, what do different people say I am? Who do they say I am? The crowd says, oh, well, you, they say you're a prophet or you're Elijah that's returned. And what do you say? And that's where Peter responds, you're the Messiah, the Christ. Even then, Peter's got the right answer. He sees, right? But what does Jesus immediately say to him, at buddy? He says, yes, and then he says, but don't tell anyone. Wait. Maybe there's a side where he revealed you have the right answer. This is kind of like rearing my boys. Yes, you have the right answer, but I'm not sure you know what what that really means. And even Peter, on this rock I will build my church, not sure he really understood what that believes. As we see the next verses, where three times Jesus starts telling them what's going to happen. So the background pictures, they start clarifying what you see. Some of you might see something. Uh, some of you might not. I was surprised. I did this at our church, and at the end of looking at this, there were still some people that hadn't seen what there is to see. So don't look at me. Just stare. If your head starts tilting, I'll forgive you. Is it supposed to? Okay. Um, so three times... Um, three different times Jesus says I'm going to suffer and die and Peter who had the right answer and others say no 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 that's not what's going to happen and Jesus uh, corrects them 
in a gentle, soft, it's like, I'm sorry, little guys, you just don't get it. Or is it, from your recollection, is it something a little more severe? Three times they get it wrong. They don't understand. Three times Jesus corrects them. In one of those, he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you don't know what you're talking about. Which, if I was a disciple hearing that, I don't think I'd ever forget it, first of all. And uh, maybe that's the, the hardest lessons we learn are usually those harder corrections. We may not like it on the moment, but 20 years later, it's like, I remember when I got that correction. Um, so they don't see, they still don't see, but they don't see yet. Jesus knows, kind of keeping that mystery. And maybe you're looking up here and you still don't see what you're supposed to be looking at. Maybe, you know, in some of those, um, when Jesus corrects them, they have this worldview. They have this way of seeing things. And Jesus keeps on three times taking it, flipping it upside down, just like that picture. Did you see that it flipped upside down? All right. All right, does anybody see something up there? Yeah? All right, there's a few people. I will just, some cheaters kind of, it's like, wait a minute, what is it before the service? Like, I don't understand what I'm looking at. And Mark was giving away the answer, so. Okay. All right. Are you tracking with me? So all this has happened, and now we get to the little passage that I want to share. I want to share about the second blind man that gets healed by Jesus. All right? And I'm going to get to that. Now, each step of the way that Jesus corrects his disciples he it comes a little more clear they start understanding they start really seeing does anybody raise your hand if you see something staring in your face you start seeing it start seeing it does anybody not see this <laughs> nobody sees now i only use this illustration because i learned the hard way about this um I used to, I was a youth pastor in Glenwood Springs, and the secretary, church secretary had this on her fridge. And I remember walking in and looking at a thing that looked like that and going, what does that say? And she says, it says Jesus. And then without skipping a beat, it's like, is that Korean, Thai, what is it? <laughs> does everyone see that it's that negative? But for me, it's like you can be staring in your face. Jesus, the Messiah, is staring in Peter's face, the disciples. And yet they still don't see clearly what that means. Like, yeah, you're going to be the Messiah. You're going to come set up your kingdom. It's like, no, I'm going to die and sacrifice. No, 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 you're going to come. I'm going to die. and um, Do we want to see? They're seeing and they're seeing. So here we are. The end of this journey, we just passed this verse 10:45, where we start talking about sacrifice. The disciples and Jesus start heading towards Jerusalem. They've been up north in Galilee. They take the long way around, like most of the Jews did. They'd go down to the Jordan, back up, give them to Jericho, and it's the last pit stop before you go up to the mountains. It's kind of like when you're going across America, you hit Denver. It's like, all right, we're going to fill up with gas, get some snacks, because now we're going over to passes. This is where all the Jews walking, being Jericho, last pit stop before they go. Um, and here is another blind man that meets Jesus. So we're going to read this together. Now it's really small up there. Hopefully it's big enough here, and I have it bigger yet here. So I'm going to read... Follow along with me. Um, 
And they came to Jericho, the disciples and Jesus. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciple and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. They called the blind man, saying saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Do you want me for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. I forgot to click, or somebody clicked on There, follow along. Great. So, um, I need a volunteer. Because we're going to try to reenact this scene a little bit. And I need somebody who has a loud voice and knows how to use it. You will not have to come up front. You can stay where you are. This is the experience. Yes, good. So you are going to be Bartimaeus. Now, let's, uh, what is your text? What does Bartimaeus say? Son of David, have mercy on me. That's it. Do you say it several times in this story? Okay. The rest of us, Bartimaeus is going to stay seated by the roadside. The rest of us are going to stand up and be the crowd crowding around Jesus. Now, how do you make crowd sound out of people sitting? First of all, you stand up. I kind of helped you out here. I came up with some basic crowd conversation for you to do. So we're all going to stand up except for Bartimaeus. And you can choose with your neighbor to have a loud enough out loud discussion using any of these things. You can say... I like beards, Uh, how about you? You can talk about lots of things, but the idea is, you know, crowds aren't silent. Not when they're following Jesus through the city square. All right. Now, once the crowd is going, Bartimaeus, good luck getting Jesus' attention. So, does anybody not understand? Now, those of you who are sitting around Bartimaeus, you have a second duty. You are supposed to shush him. When you hear him, he's like, you ready? Are you good, shushers? We all kind of have that gift from birth, right? Are we okay, everyone? All right, crowd, here we go. All right, call him. It's fine. Now, what can we learn? I'll keep you standing 10 more seconds. What can we learn from doing a crowd scene like that? What do we learn about Bartimaeus? Did he want to see? How bad did he want to see? Pretty, you know, he was motivated. He's like, all right, you can sit down and we'll talk about it a little bit. He was motivated. Maybe in Jericho, I bet he's been there a little while. He's been there a few years. Jesus, this guy, has maybe come along and he's going, you know, the next time 
this guy that supposedly heals people is coming through. I am not missing that boat. No one told me who it was last time. I was like, what's with the hubbub? Oh, it's that guy that heals. It's like, too late, you missed him. Thank you. So he's, it seems like as soon as he hears that it's Jesus, he's like, doesn't count to ten, say, should I bother him or should I not? He knew there was only one place. He was motivated to do that. He sat there, started hollering. Now, what happened when the crowd started shushing? Did, did he give up? When Did he want to see? How bad did he want to see? I mean, uh, this is not a full house. You know, there's probably a thousand, a great crowd, a thousand people walking down the street. I imagine he was hoarse by the time he was done because he was really not only motivated to get his attention, but perseverant to do so. I have a confession. I tend to be like that crowd that shushes. I don't like when people get bothered or when I uh, have to bother someone. I will go out of my way to not bother somebody. So I could see myself being, don't, don't bother the master. He's got bigger things to do or some kind of silly mindset like that. Um, Bartimaeus knew what he wanted and wanted to see. Now, when he got called by Jesus, this is where, do we want to see the question? He had hope. He knew there's only one place to go. He became expecting. Would it be possible maybe that I get, and this is where we get to our second point, do we want to see? Did he want to see? Yes. The second point is, what does Jesus say to him? And uh, this is our second point. This is what, we're not going to, there's a lot of things you can unpack out of this story, but these are just two little points. It's like, are we motivated to really see Jesus? And the second point is, remarkable what Jesus says to this Bartimaeus. What do you, Bartimaeus, want me, Jesus, to do for you? Jesus not saying, it's like, I know what's best for you, let me do it for you. Or he really asks him, what do you want me to do for you at your service? Uh, the creator of the universe here at your service. Now, I don't know about you, Bartimaeus was pretty right away. He had that hope. It's like, there's one thing. There's no doubt. There's one thing that I want, and I'm going to ask for it. Do we, when Jesus stands there and asks us, what do you want me to do for you? What came to mind as I'm thinking about this is that John F. Kennedy, quote, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I think that's, uh, that's become a main mindset. It's like, oh, what can I do for God in his service? What can I serve the Lord doing? How would God want me? What would Jesus do? What would he have me do? But in this case, Jesus is asking, what do you want? The opposite, which is not always. There's some things that he calls us to do. Obey, follow my lead. And there's also things that are out of our control. Mark talked about a little bit. You know, the snow came. That was in all of our control to see that it was going to snow on the Rockies of the ski industry. Some things are out of our control. 
And he is asking us, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? Am I going to be courageous enough to say what I really want? Now, everyone's got something that if, you, if I ask you, all right, think of something that you really want. And maybe the first two would be like, oh, yeah, but no, I can't ask that. A little self-veto. That's what happens inside me. Oh, I, does anybody have any prayer requests? Ah, oh, but that's a little prayer request. I'm not going to mention that. Compared to the big prayer requests that people have. Health and loss. My elbow hurts. Just doesn't seem like it adds up to worthy of being mentioned. But Jesus is asking us, and that's my rhetorical question for us. What do you want Jesus to do for you? So those are two points. We got just a, a story for each one of those from our ministry. And this is where Teresa is going to come up and uh, share one story. And then I'll share another story and we'll wrap it up. So, Teresa, right here. Good morning. Um, I love coming back here. It's great. Mm-hmm. And Boone mentioned earlier at the beginning that our, our vision is to disciple a new generation of leaders for the church in France. And um, I just want to thank you, because that's what you've been doing for 12 years. It's not just us that's been doing that, but it's you who has been a part of discipling a new generation of leaders for the church in France. And um, I just have a story about a young woman that... Uh, as I was thinking about his sermon, I thought really was an illustration of that first point. And her name's Leticia. And we've got a Bible school at our center that is uh, with torchbearers. I don't know if many of you are familiar with torchbearers. I've got a center over in Estes Park, Ravencrest. And they also have Timberline that's up in the mountains. Um, But students come and they stay either for three months or six months and have this Bible training and community living and service opportunity and outreach opportunities. And it really can be a life-changing experience. And so that's Leticia that you see up there. And she had, she just turned 30 and she had, um, she was self-employed teaching French as a foreign language. And I think was pretty successful, I think was doing well. But just felt like God was saying, hey, there's something else. And um, so she stopped her work, stopped taking students. And last January, she came to Chamfleury for our Bible school. And she um, was just thirsty and just wanted, you could tell she wanted to see. She, she was motivated. She was coming. She left her job. She was paying for this out of, out of what she'd saved up over the last few years and came just with a thirst to learn and a thirst to grow and a thirst to see where God would lead her. And I got to, I've had the privilege of mentoring her for the last 12 months. Um, so she came, she did the three months of Bible school and still felt like she didn't know where God was leading. She, there just wasn't clarity. Um, and so she went and she kind of visited a church plant project that was happening. She visited a couple other ministries in France and just, just wasn't sure. And about this time last June, our staff at Chamfleury sat down and wrote out a job district description for an RA student mentor, which was a role that we felt like we had needed and wanted a young woman to do for several years. And so we wrote out this job description. And meantime, Leticia is still kind of not sure what was happening, but trying to take the next step at each point. I uh, came back to Chamfleury for the summer and did whatever we needed. She was a camp counselor. She worked in the laundry room. She worked in the kitchen doing food service. She did dishes. I think she did cleaning. She just served all summer. And as the summer went by, 
she mentioned that she really wanted to do the other semester of DFI and to, to get some more training still. And so we came up with this plan that she could come and do the, the, the other three months of Bible school and be the student mentor at the same time and not have to pay for the classes because she was, she was out of funds. And so she came and did that. And all fall, she worked double duty. She was a student and she was an intern. And she did a great job. She came and she walked alongside these younger students because most of our students are between 18 and 24-ish. So she walked beside them. She encouraged them. She challenged them. She discipled them. And in December, we sat down, our board sat down, and decided that they would like to offer to her to stay long-term as a student mentor. And so now this young woman, this young French woman who was seeking to see where God was going to lead her, who was motivated, and who kept persevering. When it, I think it would have been easier to move back to Lyon, to start teaching, teaching French again. There's a lot more security there. Now she is starting to raise support, which in France is not an easy thing to do. But she's motivated, and she has hope, and she sees that God is opening a door for something that she's gifted in. And so she is just taking one step after another. And it's it's just really fun to walk beside her and to see how she is seeing Jesus in a new way, how she's trusting him in a new way to provide for her. And for me, it's a joy because she is, a lot, in a lot of ways, the reason why we're there. We are there to see a new generation of leaders for the church in France. And who better to understand the French people than a French person? And so that's what she's doing. And I, we're just thrilled to see her there. And... Um, to be honest, there's a little part of me that I've been mentoring these these students for the last 12 years. And um, like Boone said, we've got two little ones at home, and so my time is not nearly as uh, as available as she says. But there was a little part of me that went, wait, if she's going to do this, then there's less need for me to do it. And there's a, a temptation to be jealous. There's a temptation to go, wait, I'm getting pushed out by the next generation. And God kind of um, reminded me um, that I don't need to be jealous about that because, one, that's why we're there. We're there to see French people raised up. And, two, I don't need to worry about being out of work. He's got all kinds of projects for me. And I don't have time to share all that right now, but already I feel like he's just opening doors and saying, hey, you're not doing that anymore, but I got this for you. And if you want to hear about that, you can come and talk to me after the service. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of what God's doing in France. Mm-hmm. All right. So I, I have a story that illustrates the other one. It, uh, what do you want to do for me? This is something that's been weighing on my heart. It's kind of what's the future, what our hopes are. What am I asking Jesus um, Four years ago, this young couple stopped by camp because he grew up in France and was trained as an outdoor instructor in Scotland and been serving at a center in Austria, yet he didn't speak German. So at some point, they, he was looking for the next thing and had a heart for France, yet he's French and he loves the outdoors. And talking with this young couple, she's from Switzerland and grew up in New York. They all speak multiple languages, which is a perfect fit for our trilingual world that is Champfleury. I was just reminded of us 10 years earlier coming to visit Champfleury saying, I love the outdoors. I want to do discipleship using God's creation to do so. And here, again, maybe felt like pushing out, but maybe felt like, but you're us 10 years ago. And um, 
So they, did, they tried different things. They actually went to Africa for a year to serve in a Christian school. And last June, they came back and are also interns at Chanfleury at the same time. It's like this new generation is coming to change our lives. So David and Stephanie are here since last June, doing an internship for a year. And he's helping me rebuild an outdoor program, a three-week discipleship in the Bible school that's outside. I've realized over the years that I, I need to work with somebody. I need somebody to bounce ideas off. Even if I'm the one in charge, I need to have somebody saying, hey, did you do what you said you do? Oh, right. Because the people pleaser in me will always put everyone else's problem. And my heart's passion, what I'm really asking God, is to be able to use the outdoors to disciple the next generation. For five years, we did this program called LEAD. And there's from 80 students that came through that. And I'm hearing echoes of the 25-year-olds. They're saying, that changed how I serve entirely, how I look, how I talk to people, how I ask what do they believe, how they're doing. And that encourages me. And at the same time, I have this worry. It's like the last two years, it has flopped. It has no one signed up or something happened and it didn't happen. And so when Jesus is asking me, what do you want me to do for you? Is I want lead to live again. Like this Bartimaeus, I want to see again. I want to uh, see this program go. I could, half of the time I'm praying to God and I'm going, yeah, but you know, maybe you are closing that door, maybe all these things. But Jesus is asking clearly, what do you want? And that is my heart. And this is my prayer request for you guys, is where will this go? So that same question is what we're going to end on, is... Um, take a few minutes, you know, time's up, but during maybe the communion time, picturing Jesus, I know Bartimaeus couldn't picture Jesus in front of him, close your eyes and hear Jesus saying, what do you want me to do for you? And your job this day or this week is to honestly answer that question. Because there's some things that we don't dare ask. And there's some things that he wants to give that are out of our control. He wants our dependence, not our independence. So that's my question as we look through this. Can we see Jesus clearly? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Dear Lord, thank you for the privilege to be here and and share from your word, and share what you've been doing, and to reconnect with our partners here at Dillon that are a big part of uh, opening the doors for us to be overseas, to disciple uh, French young people to lead the church. And I thank you for them, and I thank you for your faithfulness to Dillon and to this relationship of partnership. Uh, be glorified, be honored. We want to see, we want to uh, ask you, uh, let our hearts speak out and ask, tell you what we hope you will do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.